Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SSNC Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this week's special episode, we'll be discussing the power generation M&A market in the Asia-Pacific region and examining the recent robust activity as companies look to accelerate their transformation. I'm joined by Adrian Orr, who's a managing director at Cantor Fitzgerald in Hong Kong. Hi, Adrian. Thanks very much for joining me today. Hi, Juliana. Thanks for having me. Let's start by looking at the wider headwinds. So despite major geopolitical and financial headwinds, Asia-Pacific M&A activity in the first half of this year has been robust. Looking specifically to the power and energy sectors, what are the opportunities and also what are the threats for APAC companies in global markets? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when we look at the power generation market, it's overall quite robust. Um, obviously, most of the Asia markets are growing. They're looking to expand internationally, but they're also looking to expand um, you know, in, within the APAC region. So we can start with internationally. Um, most of them are looking at outbound transactions in the US, in Europe, um, Latin America, Africa, Middle East. Um, I think different countries are, are focusing on different sectors, um, but most of them are looking to do more renewable transactions or even gas transactions. I think more recently, we've seen with gas prices going up, um, some of these uh, companies are interested in deploying capital in the U.S. market where the U.S. currency is strong and they can park some of their currencies outbound. Um, So that's one trend that we're seeing. Obviously, domestically, most of them are still thermal-based power generation countries. And a big push of that is going to be on renewables, no matter what's happening in terms of the market. But I think Right now, it's a balance of in expanding internationally and also growing domestically. So it just depends on the, the country we're discussing. And can you talk through some of the potential roadblocks for M&A deals recently in the region and how the government is supporting the power and infrastructure sectors? Yeah, I mean, talking about the roadblock, obviously, we're at the back end of the COVID um, situation. I mean, there's been a lot of Countries have had, you know, situations where countries were closed off to visitors, and obviously that's been a bit of a challenge for international cross-border M and A. I think most of the countries in APEC is now opening up, and it's easy to travel domestically, internationally. So I think that's going to be helpful um, for both M and A as well as development projects, developing and projects. Um, I think we've seen a little bit of delays in renewable projects, you know, growing the number of megawatts that they had planned for. That's partially because of COVID. That's partially because of the supply chain. Um, that's ha- issues that's happening across the market. I think in terms of M&A, um, obviously people will look at two two main things: currency as well as interest rates. Many of the APAC in, 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 uh, currencies have been impacted. The U.S. dollars have been quite strong, so people have to take into account some of the investments as they look outbound. And in terms of interest rate, I think we've lived in a very low interest rate environment for many years. And so investors are used to getting very cheap debt. Um, that might or might not be there anymore. I think in the short term, people are trying to figure out how long this higher, slightly higher interest rate environment will last and how that will impact their investments going forward and how that will impact their cash flows in the long run. So I would say these are kind of the main roadblocks that people are looking at um, as they're looking at um, investments. 
And how are governments supporting the power and infrastructure sectors to try and overcome some of those roadblocks? Yeah, I think, I mean, different governments are doing different things. I think um, there's domestically, um, I think there's a lot of subsidies and fee and tariff policies that are being developed. Um, I think every geography has their own developments. So China now, I think, are moving into a grid parity um, scheme. And so I think that has gotten rid of a lot of the previous subsidy receivable issues that international investors were wary of. So hopefully that will attract more investors coming in. In Vietnam, I think most people are looking into the PDP-8, where the government will announce kind of the next set of policies for renewable projects. In Thailand, I think they're opening up to um, you know, five gigawatt of tender on feed and tariff coming up. So that's another big market that's opening up. So I think within Southeast Asia, obviously offshore wind is another big market where Taiwan, Japan, Korea, these are all markets where, as in China, that where, that where they're really growing um, offshore wind. And so there's a lot of policies that are pushing um, for the acceleration of renewable conversion. Thank you. And can you talk us through the recent cross-border activity that you've seen in the APAC region, specifically in the power generation and infrastructure markets? So I think in terms of M&A activity in the region, I think power generation traditionally has been a very strong suit um, for you know international infrastructure investors or strategics looking to deploy capital. Um, people like the OECC countries, so you know Japan, Korea, Taiwan. Um, but people are also interested in emerging markets, and so Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, um, and and so there's various activities that's happening right now. Um, but I would say beyond power generation, um, people have also focused very much on digital infrastructure. So digital infrastructure being data centers, telecom towers, um, those are sectors that have been really been you know high in demand. I would say. Um, for for us at Cantor for sure, I think we we did a large sales site on a China platform last year, 650 megawatt operational platform. I think that is one of a kind, and there will be more of these um, investments coming into China. One market that I haven't mentioned is India. India obviously is a big part, and it's a market where many of the international infrastructure have deployed capital. Um, it's not a market that I cover as much, but I think that's where a lot of the opportunities will come up. Um, given that market is quite robust. I think if you look at the equities market globally this year, India is one of the market that has been quite stable despite the turmoil. Um, so overall, I would just say power generation continue to be a big uh, part for infrastructure investor, but people are also quite looking at digital infra just because that's going to be a growing uh, sector coming up and that's has proven to be quite resilient in the market. Thank you. And looking at the current dynamics of the infrastructure sector, including renewables, also with the abundance of dry powder and current yield compression, do you think acquirers need to start investing in higher risk assets to achieve significant returns? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think obviously rising interest rate is going to change. Um, and people, a lot of these infrastructure funds have, set, have been set up with, you know, mid-teens return or even higher and so where are they going to get that? It's not going to be from operating assets. So they need to look up, uh, go up the development curve and look at some of the developers with long pipelines. And so you see a lot of the international infrastructure investors really uh, looking to invest in platforms. So they're backing up teams um, that have pipeline, that has to have the experience of doing it once and hopefully they can do it again. So certainly we see more people looking for platform and teams to back um, just to boost returns because just 
by investing in renewable or renewables is is hard to achieve kind of the return hurdles that they have. And I think generally renewables has just gotten so competitive, as I mentioned before, and that, that's why many of them have divers, diversified and looked at you know digital infra and other assets to broaden their investment scope. And looking now at the energy transition. What impact is the global energy crisis having on Asia's energy transition? I think Asia, in, in, in many ways, is slightly behind the US and Europe in terms of energy transition. If you look at the Europe and European, European and US market, um, their renewables um, has grown significantly. Obviously, China and India are sort of outliers in the Asia market. China is probably the largest renewable player in the world right now. Um, they're building so much uh, wind and solar um, at the moment, but I think um, people are still adapting. I think some of the emerging markets in Vietnam, Indonesia, they're still very coal reliant, and that might still continue for a little bit. Um, people will see in out of Europe, you know, you can't just switch to renewable one day. It takes time, um, and so some of them are going back to coal even in, in in Europe because of the shortage of power. So I think in 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 Asia. I think people are still going to be focused on building up renewables, but they will probably understand a little bit better that the thermal power as a base load is still quite important. And so there will probably be still some M&A transaction to be taken place in this sector for the thermal transaction because, yes, um, it might not be green, but it's still essential. So there will be some type of investors that will be able to take that stance where they say, you know, it's still important for APEC emerging markets to have thermal, um, it's not green, but um, it still needs to be done. So um, I think there's two stands to it looking at, at the market. Yeah. And I guess it's still in plenty of places keeping the lights on. Yes, correct. And what further changes across the APAC region do you expect to see continuing in the power sector? I think one of the main two developments, I would say, one is obviously hydrogen. Um, I think a lot of people are talking about hydrogen, people are building, looking at hubs in Australia, the Middle East, potentially importing to some of the countries in Asia. Obviously, these are CapEx intensive and long dated projects. You know, we're talking about multiple, you know, 10, 20 gigawatt of renewables to, you know, to build these hubs. So I think that's going to be a development in, in the upcoming, you know, 10, 20 years. I think the other ones will be renewable natural gas. I think we're seeing that in US and Europe play out now. And that's potentially something that we'll see more of in Asia. Um, and lastly, I would say probably CNI, rooftop solar. I think that's always been a key developing area in Asia already um, with a lot of manufacturing sites building solar on top um, to kind of meet some of the requirements by uh, the end client and customers to meet some of the green initiatives. Uh, we continue to see that as a big driver in renewables, and that's a faster way. You're kind of less constrained by government policies and and you're able to move faster. Um, so I would say those three are key main themes that we're looking at, hydrogen, renewable natural gas, and CNI. And what role does nuclear play in the current energy mix and, and looking at the future as well? Yeah, so I think in, in terms of nuclear, a lot of people liked it and it was a up and coming technology obviously what happened in fukushima had kind of delayed that and stopped some of the activities in asia but i think what we're seeing in europe right now with power shortage that you know people are restarting those conversations on nuclear 
And I think people, countries like Japan and Taiwan are always having those conversations whether to restart this. So I think it's definitely something to look out for. Um, people know that it's a good source of base load. Obviously, we hope the technology is stronger and safer now compared to what it was before. So we'll see what happens with it. Thank you. And looking at ESG, a huge corporate trend that we've seen really gather momentum over the past few years. What's the role of ESG in delivering the energy transition? And how can companies in the APAC region move towards a more sustainable future? Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think about ESG, they think about power. And so the first thing that they come up with is CNI, you know, having rooftop solar power your manufacturing sites or your build, your office building. That's obviously one part of it. But I think there's a lot more to it in terms of sustainability of your product, sustainability of your services and whatnot. So it's definitely, I think Asia is definitely catching up on that those conversations. I think you, US and Europe will still be at the forefront and leading those co- discussions. But I'm hoping that Asia, you know, will not be too far behind. And I think most of the governments realize um, how important this is and so are really focusing on development of renewables um, in, in the region. Great. Adrian, thank you very much. That was Adrian Orr, Managing Director at Cantor Fitzgerald in Hong Kong. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.